Hey, man, how's it going? What's going on? Not much, man. Uh, it's been a busy week. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been um, delving into uh, all kinds of, of, of history books. Um, and yeah, and I've been, uh, yeah. <laughs> been reading reading uh yeah and uh just trying to keep up you know with everything that's going on with the um with the strike right with yeah, what's, the so strike. what's the update on the strike so well the update that that i saw that i think really sort of raised my eyebrows was um i followed a lot of people on twitter as many people do and that's where we all go to get a lot of our news today Sure. And J- Justine Bateman, um, who is uh, you know SAG member, um, and uh, she she was writing. She's actually got a computer science degree. She's a coder. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Um, but she was talking about some of the AI concerns that are out there, and I think some of those you know we we've we've kind of hinted at uh, here before, mm-hmm. but but. Uh, um, SAG's getting ready to strike, right? I mean, it's 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 they, it's inevitable at this point, I guess. Yes, because it has to be solidarity, you know, across the board. Precisely, yeah. and and um, you know, you've seen some things. Maybe if you're following this uh, on 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 the news, where you know, um, actors and directors, you know, I think Lin Manuel Miranda was out on the picket lines, like handing out waters and donuts and stuff like that, and you know, showing solidarity and support, but. Uh, I've seen the notices that that SAG is actually voting now. They've sent out mm-hmm. the the recommendations for um, the, the. It's basically what it's called is an authorization to strike vote. Doesn't mean that they're going to strike, but it means that they have you know voted in solidarity to strike if it's a last resort. I, essentially, it's coming. But anyway, so here's where I think this sort of gives us some insight, some deeper insight into what some of the specific issues are that these folks mm-hmm. um you know okay. are facing um one of them is um ai written scripts or digitally scanned actors be that image or voice both of these things already exist yes and some talent agencies are actively recruiting their clients to go ahead and get scanned. Um, there's actually a wonderful movie about this called The Congress from 2013 with Robin Wright in it. Hmm. Um, okay. Really, really good. So it was addressing this kind of stuff almost a decade ago. Uh, but um, you're, you're basically g- going to get to choose the projects that your you know scans are included in, and it's basically going to be like 75 cents on the dollar, basically, um, you know, for, for the use of your image, image, everything. Right. So the second issue, and I'm just outlining Justine's stuff here. um, Films are going to be customized for the viewer based on their viewing history, which has been obviously aggregated over the years right the algorithms have gotten stronger oh absolutely and and it's it's so so actors are going to then have the option to have their image be bought out to be used in 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 anything um following up on that this is the one that's really crazy jeff films films are going to be eventually capable of being ordered up specifically by the viewer so for example jeff let's say that it's friday night and and we kick back and i say i want to watch a film about a panda and a unicorn that saved the world in a rocket ship oh and i want bill murray in it and boom you're going to be able to have that 
Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets even better, right? All right. Now, if that didn't blow your mind, right? Viewers are going to be able to be digitally scanned themselves and added in, customized in, inserted in. in, in, They'll pay extra, but they'll be able to be inserted into anything they want. So, for example, I could replace Mark Hamill's face with my face and Star Wars could then be about me as Luke Skywalker, right? They're, They're just... They're just now getting to the point where they can do this and they're trying to work out, you know, who pays, what's the licensing fees are, right? So it gets even better. Training on AI programming is getting so sophisticated that they're working on being able to add, say, for example, Justine Bateman was using Family Ties as an example, right? So older TV shows. Mm -hmm. You can load in all 167 episodes, all, you know, seven seasons of Family Ties and tell an AI to make an eighth season and it would do it. It, it would be it would it would be possible. Um, <laughs> and then well, the my, last- my only my only question that comes up from all this is why? Yeah, well, like, I mean, what, you I, know. I, I, I think, you know, there's your goal bloom. Right, <gasps> going so fast that we're not asking mercy. why. Right, so the last thing is just her kind of like you know imploring uh, her you know her union uh, brethren to to please consider uh, you know unify, unifying over this because as she claims this may be the last time in the business that a strike mm-hmm. is going to have any kind of meaningful value because once once the scanning and all of that stuff takes place then it's it's out the door right let and, that sink uh, in for a second man that's i it. i i, I that's a lot. It, it all horrifies me but it also <laughs> it delights me because i can already see the pornography industry like rubbing its hands together <laughs> yes finally Finally, you know, we can, our customers can insert themselves into pornographic films. They're going to make a trillions of dollars. I, I, I can only, I mean, I, I, there were, there were a couple things that really just sort of struck me and I'm still hung up on them. This idea of viewers being to just order up whatever movie they want. I mean, that is that's insane right um that's like let's play movie producer tonight and let's just kind of figure out what kind of combinations we want to you know we want to toss out there so there's part of me that's like super excited about this creatively right right? i mean it's it's, interesting yeah it, it it's of interest but again you know where's the where's the mystery where's the romance right like once we just decide that we don't have to take a chance on anything anymore, then what's the point of art? Well, you know, well, what's dude, the- so do you think that then um, I would think that we would return to more of a uh, bourgeois kind of live performance as a possibly as a niche kind of yes. thing, right? That you pay that, for, right? That that is that will be a if if this evolves in the next. 10 to 20 years in this way where it gets out of hand. I could see the, the, the theater 
making its comeback, right? Right. That'll be the last place you can go and see actual. Oh, I don't know, empathetic performance. But then, by but of course, by then, I'll be like, we'll have holograms on stage. And, you know, yeah, why, exactly. Yeah. Why bother? Just, it's just know. I know, I know, but it's like, but it, but you know, the the educators in us, the creatives in us, we 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 have to embrace this because it's it's not going away, right? So we have no, to kind of figure no. out what the landscape is. You know, we're just like everyone else, where we're we're trying to make sense of it all, and it's moving so fast. You're saying, you know, ten years. Jeff, I'm saying like three to five. Like I think it's probably. Be much I'm trying. Faster. I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying to to lengthen it a little bit because government will be a little bit involved in it. And there need to be laws that are going to be passed. So I would say 10, 15, 20, because I did read things on Wired this week about you know the AI laws that that we're we're going to have to have a larger global conversation before the entertainment industry gets what it wants Absolutely. regardless of what it feels because it affects the 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 effect of it will 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 be felt everywhere so, oh, well, we're going to have to have some regulation because you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the fields of medicine, science, uh, you know, um, the economy, uh, you know, just the things that AI can do potentially. Yeah, it's 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 really kind of mind boggling, but it's but it, but it's but it's not. a. I don't want to come across as a Luddite. I'm not. No, against no. it, right? I don't think we collectively, you and I, are against it. We're just saying, wow, you know, it's we've got to get a grasp on it or a handle on it, or it's going to get out of control really fast. It's going to get out of control, yeah, like more most, so than it already has. More so than it has. <laughs> well, other than uh, 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 future casting, we're the only PhDs. I'm, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We talk about film. By the way, thank you for the update on that. So, no, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, and we'll continue to follow it as it as it hopefully doesn't linger on too long the strike uh, or strikes plural if it if it comes to that um, because again it's a tough enough business as it is and uh, you know people need to work man I, well I think, yeah uh, yeah and even non union you know shoots I mean even non union oh they fire they've let everyone go they're going to be affected just, by this yeah I mean it's yeah. it's critical so it, it 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 definitely trickles downhill. Uh, we'll be looking at a couple movies today. Uh, <laughs> one is one is Babylon 2022 by Damien Chazelle, and the other is Sullivan's Travels. We're going to go back in time to 1941. Preston Sturgis wrote and directed it. Veronica Lake, Joel McCree starred in it. Mm, I want Veronica to beat Lake. off today. Oh, man, we're going to get to that. Lake. I can't. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Just wow. As Al Pacino would say. Wah. Wah. Yep. Indeed. Uh, but let's start with Babylon today. Let's let's oh. let's start because this is actually the way this, this episode works out. This is our all Hollywood episode, right? Like this is our uh inside films about the business, as it were, you know, how, how in taking different <laughs> sort of different directions uh with it. Uh, I will turn things over to you now to uh, to sort of lead us in on this conversation about Babylon. So, Jeff, I have a question for you. Yeah. What does cocaine, sex orgies, and a giant elephant have in common? They, they all shit the same. <laughs> they, are, they are all centerpieces of the train wreck that is 
Damien Chazelle's three hour plus three hours eight minutes film. Yes. So so this movie is set in 1920s Hollywood and it follows um, and kind of explores the lives of several different characters uh, who are trying to sort of stay afloat, make sense of all of the changing landscape that was taking place in Hollywood. Uh, it roughly kind of covers a six year time span uh, from 1926 to 1932. It does have a coda sequence uh, that takes place in 1952. Um, but the film is meant, I think, to be kind of a tribute to a golden age of Hollywood. Um, and Chazelle kind of brings his signature style to the project. I like his work. I was a big fan of Whiplash. I love La La Land. I think he's he's very good with the right material. Um, this movie has a really strong cast. Um, and uh, I, I think it it its premise going in was quite exciting, right? Um, and and you get introduced to the film through this 20-minute sequence that's all kind of one-shot kind of... Esque. Uh, esque. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, sort of echoing the opening to La La Land. And so, you know, it's, it's his style, right? Um, right. But, and, and I listen, the cinematography, the production design, the costume... Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's an amazing movie from yeah. that from that standpoint props to those folks um but the film i think kind of takes a uh really rough right turn and kind of goes off the mountain cliff um it, it's kind of loosely based i think on a 1965 book called hollywood babylon by kenneth anger mm-hmm. um where in that book uh anger sort of went through all of kind of the uh, the gossip columnist stuff and all, you know, just kind of try to, to retread all of that um, sordid history, um, you know, because the history of Hollywood in that, the history of Hollywood period is not pretty, right? It's not, it's not clean. Oh, um, no. No, not but, at all. Um, but, but some of the things right in, in the book uh, and in the movie too, uh, just it's excess, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's total excess. Yeah, and 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 you know, I, I'll be honest. As as okay, so number one, I didn't laugh once in this entire movie. Not not a chuckle, not a guffaw, nothing. And when that elephant shit on him in the first five minutes of this film, I was like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Uh, That's right. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. And when I and when I say shit on him, I mean like elephant diarrhea. Like it was. I, I just kind of put my hand up and went, oh boy, here we go. Well, at but, least at least it's a metaphor, right? He's dumping the shit on you literally at the like, get yeah. ready, right? Like here it comes, right? But I, I, I feel that I understand the negative reaction to this film because number one, the timing of the release of this film was post just as we were going back to the theaters at the end of 2022. That's right. I don't care about any of this. Like this is almost shoving in my face saying, look at these people doing Coke and fucking and, you know, and having a ball. Right. I'm just like, this came off two and a half years of isolation and deep thought. Like, this this displeases me on a level like I can't even describe. Yes, like I, you're you're apathetic, right? You, you yeah, just, I mean, yeah, I just sat yeah. there the whole time and just was like, I don't care anything about these people. 
These people are garbage people. Boo to all of this. Like, I, I found myself not caring, not laughing, not doing anything. I mean, do you think that that has the, 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 the timing of the film has something to do with it? Yeah, I, I, I just I do. You know, I do. I think it yeah. was um, I think it was also pretty mismarketed. Um, I, I think that people th- people were led to believe that it was going to be um, sort of an extravagant comedic look at that time period and i think it is a dark comedy in some ways but uh but it's not effective because it because you you have to have some sort of empathy for these characters and there's i i didn't feel any either and i kept wanting to because a lot of these characters are are loosely based or are directly based on real people right so if you're a film history nerd like me you know i'm looking at it going okay well the only one that was the, the, I only counted three that were real people that were called them the real people in the movie Irving Thalberg, right? Yes. Uh, okay. William Randolph Hearst, Hearst. and, and Marion Davies, right? That those were all three real people. The rest of them are sort of amalgamations, and I think it does a disservice to the sure. film history to not have them be directly sort of connected to their historical counterparts, right? It doesn't help me that Nellie Leroy is only loosely connected to Clara Bow, right? It right. doesn't help me that Otto Van Strasberg, who is who is, you know, played by Spike Jones, right? Jones is, who does Eric, a great, who does a good job. Like, it's Eric von Stroheim, right? But yeah. but 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 you don't, you know, Eleanor St. John is is that's Luella Parsons, right? It's like these people, uh, even Lady Faye, right, was um, uh, was based on uh, Anna Mae Wong, right, who was the first Asian American film star, right? I mean, they he missed the boat here, right? I mean, he missed the boat by not capitalizing more on who these real people were, and I think it would have built more well, the right. Just spend a little characters. real time with yes, them. you know, give give us something, just just give us like you're saying, give us a reason to give a shit about any of these people and it just it never materialized it's like the party is endless you know and when you go to the endless party it's just like you're just as exhausted as the as the participants in it you're just like another party scene oh boy like what's (laughs) what's it gonna look like this time you know what i mean like (laughs) i I just i was just like oh boy so you so i guess the only one out of the group that I kind of wanted to rally behind and get behind was Manny, right? Who's sure. who's Diego Calva is really talented. Like he's a great performer, mm-hmm. um, and I and I think the connector there is to I'm 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 speculating now, but I've done a lot of history reading this week. But I really think that he is based on um, uh, Rene uh, Cardona who was a Cuban who came to Hollywood and became a really, really major player in the golden age of Mexican cinema, because you figured out, you know, Hey, we can do these things in Spanish language. Right. And, and, and we'll make a a fortune internationally. Right. Off these things. Shoot, shoot one scene, shoot it in English and then shoot it in Spanish, which they showed in the film. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, And so, you know, he's the one character and we start with him, we end with him. So I think he's kind of the one character we're supposed to have empathy. I, I couldn't do it. 
Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't do it because you know when, when he runs off with her to Mexico, you know, you're the end. Oh, the I'm last just, the last cocaine binge. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, how many times can you hang on to this obviously this toxic person who's going to continue to drive you down? I just I just don't I, I don't have any empathy for you. I'm sorry. Did you did you enjoy the direct lift from Boogie Nights? Yes. The, the Toby Maguire segment. Yes. yes. I was I just did. like I laughed you, at I said, Toby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was damn near beat for beat. You know, I, I just, <laughs> I was just like, it took me a minute, and then it clicked in my brain. You know, I was just like, is he doing what I think he's doing? Oh, he is. Okay, okay, he is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, so, so let me explain. There's this moment in the film like also towards the end where our, our main character is trying to get uh, uh, her out of trouble by getting money. Cause she lost money gambling. They get all coked up and go to the, to the, to the heavy to give them the money. And it turns out that it's play money. And, you know, uh, just, I just, I, I kept seeing that scene from Boogie Nights in my head where Mark Wahlberg keeps turning around to see the guy like, checking the cocaine you know uh-huh. to see if it's real or not and the yep. wonderful you know firecrackers going off and jesse's girl and you know all this and i'm just like oh this is all building towards the same thing except here we have an alligator and some snm nonsense that it's i can't weirdness right just weirdness eating a live rat i i, I just i just, I just what the what the fuck is this <laughs> well <laughs> uh shay's castle was a real place Okay. Um, uh, actually historical um and uh cal neva was actually a real sort of gambling spot like about sure. 60 miles outside of los angeles that that people did really go to to gamble and do all kinds of like you know shady shit so some of this again like i'm saying is is he's got kernels of the real history sort of sprinkled in but i think he could have done so much more if he had just tried to have a little bit more like restraint mm-hmm. and a little bit more um strategic scripting uh allowing us to humanize these characters a little bit more so that we have empathy for it. so that by the time you get to to jack you know brad pitt's character at the end mm-hmm. there's there i mean it's a great scene it's shot beautifully but it it i i felt nothing right it's got no weight yeah like it's just it's just got no weight and and i i enjoyed you know, Brad Pitt at this point in his career is 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 doing what I like to call the the Bateman, you know, the Jason Bateman, mm-hmm. right? It's just like he's one type of character. You know, we see it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We see it here. We've seen it in more recent incarnations too, and things that he's done. It's just like he now just embraces that Pittness. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it's him and McConaughey and Bateman and all them, and just like there's just that that it's the one thing that they do well and that's what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And as much as I enjoy watching it, I too, I did feel like watching this the same way I felt when I was watching once upon a time in Hollywood, which was a film that I did not enjoy also, mm-hmm. uh, which is also about the industry at a changing time come the, you know, the late sixties and early seventies, uh, you know, it, it, it just leaves, there's an emptiness in these films and I think it comes from it's, you know, 
maybe if it like you're saying too is again i'm trying to work it out in my head about all of the problems with it like how if they just spent a little more scholarly time on on crafting it a little better like you you were alluding to and giving these characters another dimension you know a home life something just just throw us in a three hour and eight minute film you can throw us seven minutes of you know of someone's home life you know and, and you can intersperse that you know you can intercut that any any way that you want it, it, it just it just feels like someone sitting down like you said maybe reading that kenneth anger book and going oh well i'm gonna you know give you the just the gloss of it you know and, and sort of give you the overview of it it, it just show, it just shows not poor writing or weak writing but definitely mediocre attempts at act structure and moving things along I'll give you another one, Jeff. Um, the character of Ruth Adler, who's played by Olivia Hamilton. That's uh, Chazelle's wife, right? Um, Ruth Adler is an amalgamation of Lois Weber, Alice Blachet, Dorothy Davenport, Dorothy Arzner, some of these really powerful female directors mm-hmm. who were incredibly active in the 20s and the 30s. Um, that's, a, an er- that's a character that, that's a could film. have been such more right. I mean, it could have been so you much know. more richly explored. Yeah. Um, and uh and a lot of this is is uh is also coming out of the last 10 to 15 years in film scholarship has really, really focused on um the role of women in in uh in film production. And I you know, I think that's fantastic. But when you're tossing in these these amalgamated characters, we don't, we're not allowed to really base ourselves in any kind of true historical grounding, which doesn't allow me anyway to develop any kind of empathy because I go, well, this is just a completely fictionalized mm-hmm. character. There's no, there's no linearity to this story at all. It's just, I feel like I'm just getting things tossed in everywhere, right? Yeah. Instead of any kind of grounding. He's just making it chaotic and carnivalesque the whole time. And that becomes fucking exhausting in this movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I know that I know that there can be arguments for saying, well, that just makes you more involved with it because if you're as exhausted as they are, I'm like, no. I, well, no. I mean, maybe, maybe someone's <laughs> right. I don't, I'm not gonna say no completely to that, but just me personally, I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. I, no. I think I think it you're you're making up for th- that don't even exist uh, I agree. At, at all at all I, I i totally agree and i think i think here's where here's the bottom line on this movie okay for, for me anyway uh he spends too much time not capturing the past and instead yeah. condescending to it yes that's 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 my problem with it and um and and i think that if people want to really explore this era or even this idea of sort of this meta uh approach which you know sullivan's travels does the same thing we'll get there but um go back the artist uh you know la confident la confidential sunset boulevard puts us in the world puts us Uh, actually in the world yes even hollywood land or or even singing in the rain as 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 you know, which is alluded to, as which it by is. the way yeah. is, is alluded to in this film, <laughs> and I'm like, what? Yeah. It's, well, it's <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's it's the first. I guess singing in the rain is marked because it was it was such a 
I mean, yes, it is lighthearted and it kind of gives you a, a, a cleansed look at that kind of period of, of Hollywood history, but it marks it and it gives us characters that we can certainly empathize with uh, throughout that transition because yeah, a lot of performers didn't make that transition to sound. And, right. and you know, there are just other movies that I mean, explore like Sunset that Boulevard, better. Yes. For, for instance. Yes. You know, I mean... Yes. Yes. It- <laughs> I used to be a star. You know, I mean, it's, 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 there, there are, there are other movies that do a better and less pretentious uh, and, and give you a better, I think, lens on that part of history. And, um, you know, the two books that I just devoured this week, uh, Pink Slipped, What Happened to Women in the Silent Film Industry mm-hmm. by Columbia Professor Jane Gaines, and also Go West, Young Women, The Rise of Early Hollywood by Hilary Hallett. Both of those books are phenomenal, and they go into way more historical detail about some of these amalgamated people that uh, that Chazelle is just kind of winking and nodding to without being more more specific. So, um, yeah, folks, uh, Babylon is one to, uh, you know, I don't I don't ever tell anybody not to watch something. Right. Because everybody should always watch it just to get an opinion. But this is this is my take on it. It's it's not worth the time. It's a huge mess. And if you want to get really frustrated and <laughs> angry and angry <laughs> at times. Yeah. I will say this, Jeff. I, there was one scene okay. that that absolutely had me in stitches. And it and it was the scene where they were first trying to record sound. Mm-hmm. Uh and um, you know, uh Nelly, the Margot Roby character is is coming out. It takes them like seven, eight takes, right? The cameraman yes. dies, right? Like all the right. you know. And it's just like every sound, who sneezed? Who sneezed? You know, I mean, it's that, the essence of that was very funny to me because if you've been, you know, if you've been in production and you've been on sets, sound is is still like that, you know? Let me me ask you, was there a need for that to take such an ugly anti-Semitic turn? No, no, there wasn't. And that's, that's, you know, it, it is another good example of how Chazelle just didn't have enough restraint and know when to, when to pull back, like how much is too much excess, right? And for me, mm-hmm. yeah, it goes way, way over the top. And he's trying to do it, I think, for comedic purposes. And I was certainly laughing, but I did not need to hear all of the anti-Semitic like rhetoric rant that that dude does. I mean, it's just I mean, ugly. I mean, it's just. I'm ugly. sure it existed, but I no, I, no. I, and I I'm not, again, I'm not dismissing that it. Doesn't I didn't exist, need but, it to that degree, right? In the context yeah. of this scene alone, is like we get it. Like right. we get his anger we don't have to go to like you said to this to this specific point uh make sure to to throw those uh books rex in the discord uh for for everyone to to take a look at well that was babylon 2022 by damien chazelle we are lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hayes dr joseph watson next up sullivan's travels 1941 as we sit and talk about films about hollywood Films about the biz, as it were. Uh, this film, written and directed by Preston Sturgis, starring Veronica Lake and Joel McCree. Is it McCree or McCree? I see uh, McCree, McCree. I think it's McCree, but probably McCree. I'll probably. Mm. I, I, I'm so bad with names. I, by this mm. time, people on the show are just like, "Will he ever get better with names?" And the answer <laughs> is no. I, I won't. Uh, quick, quick synopsis here: Hollywood director John L. Sullivan sets out to experience life. 
as a homeless person in order to gain relevant life experience for his next movie as he wants to get out of making comedies and to make something serious that has impact that the common man will, you know, get up and, 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 and strive for. But of course, along the way, he learns that, uh, you know, maybe you should stick to your guns. Maybe you should stick to your guns. But uh, this, this film is so... <laughs> He's so great. I'm sorry, like off the top. It's just, I was laughing immediately. Mm-hmm. And I had seen it's been a while since I had seen it, but you know, I forgot all the little giant, you know, all the quick little cadences of the screwball romantic comedy of the time, you know, and and you know, just a little sex. It's just a little sex. <laughs> I want to have a serious picture, a serious picture that has meaning in it with just a little sex, with just a little sex. <laughs> You know, the gag with the picture of the husband, the, the I, I mean, the beats in this movie are just amazing. I, the cadences, and, and we were alluding to it earlier, I totally get Veronica Lake in watching this film. I'm just like that. I get the, the, the star, the shine, the pinup girl. You look at Veronica Lake in this picture. By the way, she had a tra- she was a tragic life. She was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. terrible alcoholic, not a very nice person. Had gambling problem. Again, alluding to mm-hmm. uh, our character from Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, very very troubled life. But man, when she is up on that screen, it is you were just dazzled. And uh, it's, it's hard to take your eyes off her because she yeah. has such a camera presence. She's such a presence and she commands the frame. I mean, you, 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 I mean, he's great too. You know, right. I, I, I love, I love when I was reading a little bit about it this week, I read where he said, uh, well, uh, I'm the guy that gets, gets cast in the Gary Cooper roles when Gary Cooper's not available. Right. Um, and he's, <laughs> He's, but he's great. He's a viewer. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, but but she, whenever she comes into the film, it, it is it is a tonal shift. Like you you you, mm-hmm. she just commands it, right? Ham um, and eggs, ham and it, eggs, man. Like that first line, give him ham and eggs. It's great. It's great. And I I think this is uh, I, with Sullivan's Travels is considered American classic, right? I mean, you 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 picked a super classic movie, right? Well, I um, wanted to with people this week too. I wanted to give them again showing an example of a film about the business that actually hits. Um, and it's 90 minutes and it's three act structure and it makes you laugh, it makes you have feelings, you root for everyone in this film, from major characters to minor characters. Everyone has three dimensions. Uh, it's just, it's just a, it's just an expert film and it's an expert script and it just, it just hits all of its beats. You know, I don't know if it was how much of it in editing was fixed, but I would, I would certainly, and again, there's probably folks, there's volumes written about this film. I mean, if you, you can go down a, not even a wiki hole, go down a Reddit hole or a Google search hole and, and you'll you'll read about Sullivan's travels for days because it's it's a movie that's been poured over for a reason though. And I wanted to give that that flip side to Babylon because you know I think number one, if the audience watches Babylon, then they deserve to watch something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that makes a little bit more sense about why should we care about movies about movies or movies about the process? Because Babylon 
makes you go, I will never watch another movie again about the process. <laughs> because these people are so self-absorbed. Just like, no, watch a movie like Sullivan's Travels because this this also is such a meta movie. You know, it's so meta about how movies are made and how the audience interacts. And also teaching, I, I was reading about how, you know, Sturgis wanted to make a film basically that he was disappointed that he saw everyone else trying to make serious films. He, he, he was trying to say, it's okay to go to the movies and to forget life and to relax. And maybe I, as an artist, should take that into account. You know, maybe I need to realize that I make films for the populace or I make films for popular entertainment. And you, let me ask you personally, as a creative and as a director and as a writer, I mean, how does that make you feel? Do, do, does it does it sort of re-energize you and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Definitely. Yeah, it's invigorating. Um, the movie, uh, you know, Preston Sturgis, dude, I mean, he. <laughs> that run, that, uh, yeah, that run I of mean, like five films. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I, I, I got exposed to him in film school. I mean, I, I didn't discover him until I was in college. And and um, Miracle Morgan's Creek was the first Preston Sturgis film that I saw. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious. And, and you know, d- after that, going back and, you know, Lady Eve, Greg McGinty, yeah. like all, just, a, just a string of great films. Um and uh, he was writing based on his, a lot of it was his own experience, right? Um, and uh, and he was also one of the first people in Hollywood to successfully become a writer slash director. Like it took him a while before they would let him direct something. But he, so all of that backstory also is invigorating, right? That if you're, that if you're true to your craft, if you, you know, if you really you can polish, succeed, you can succeed. And the, Jeff, the brilliance of this movie, and you, you you've hinted at it. It starts out being this fantastic screwball comedy, which which within it, that's a subgenre within itself that really only existed for about a 10 to 15 year window. Yes. And um, as lots of people try to copy it, but it, it really was very specific to a to an era. Um, but this meta turn that you're talking about that it takes where it switches from being a screwball comedy to this uh, social conscious Commentary, movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and to, to me, the the it's. It's this moment where I go, God damn, the bastard did it. I don't, I, I don't know how he did it. And I don't know how he did it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's when the homeless guy robs him, right, and takes the money, and he gets on the tracks, and the train and he pays for it, yeah. right. And you have that shot where the train just keeps going by, and the money is like the only thing you see. That's, I mean, that is the pivotal turn right there to where if you're not getting the message like that, that's the moment where he's beating you over the head, you know, with the capitalism and that, you know, it's, it's a, it, where he sets you up for it at the beginning. Right. But, uh, uh, but that's the moment where he's actually gotten you there. And it's just brilliant the way he just snuck you into that world. Right. Um, and it's believe every sense of it is believable. And yes. um, I, I read this week where uh, even um, uh, the president of the NAACP at the time praised oh. Sturgis for his representation of that black church. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful segment. It's a great segment. Um, and it made me snicker just for a second, just because that's the song that Cameron sings in Ferris Bueller's if Day. I let my you. Cameron go. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, 
that I've turn. Turned. It's that turn, Jeff. That's it's that's what makes it so cool. I, I think one of the coolest moments in the film happens too when he goes to the movies and he's working at the boarding house with the woman the, the woman who's trying to molest him basically. Um, they go to the movie and show what it's like to sit in an audience <laughs> at the time of movies with like crying babies and all the noise and all the noise and he's just like this is again when i'm talking about the meta elements of this film it's just like he's almost saying why do i bother if this is the viewing experience right, right. for people but then again you get the juxtaposition at the end yes yeah this is the reason we do yeah. all laugh together and it yeah. is okay and it is escapism i mean the balance of that is just like you said it's just like I, he did it I, and i don't know how he did it but he did it and it's got you know it's got the it's it's got all of the formulaic things that you would want from a screwball it's got all the slapstick humor right it's got the car chases it's got the oh you know, man that car chase is amazing yeah i mean it's 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 got it's got adventure it's got you know it's it's a road movie in some ways right but it's just although like, it always leads back to hollywood <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> that's the ongoing joke it's just like whenever they get off the chase like well back in hollywood <laughs> all right i i i just i yeah it's it's a, it was such a pleasure to go back and How experience it again How oh gosh probably 20 years yeah at least yeah same um, and it, and it just it was just a fresh revisit i was so uh excited to get you know those opening scenes with that fast-paced dialogue and those those oh, little this, you know you were talking about this movie opens on another movie also i think that's the first I'd have to do some more research, but could be. Yeah, it, could it, be. This, it might be the first like that we open with John L. Sullivan, whatever movie he's just made. And it's very, that dude takes like six shots, man. <laughs> like, he shoots that dude like six times. He still holds on to him. <laughs> and I, you know, that made me chuckle. Cause I was just like, Oh, look, he's making fun of action movies. Like right off the bat. You know, we won't, I, I just, I just was amazed by it. And then of course he cuts out and we realize it says the end. And we realize that we're actually watching a movie that they're watching is, you know, in the, in the production room. And then he goes on his rant about, Oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> yeah. What is, is that? Did the Coen brothers get some inspiration from that? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, you know, you know, we should, and, and, we should mention that. Yeah. 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 So if you, yeah, if you're curious, they definitely are huge Preston Sturgis fans. Uh, you can see that in all of their films that they borrow liberally from Preston Sturgis, but here more direct lip of taking the title of the film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, putting the spin on it. But, you know, the Coen's movie is more the Odyssey than this film. You know, I just, they're just, it's just a nice meta joke for them uh, uh, to title the film that way. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I can't, I I can't really uh, think of another film that's that's comparable in terms of I mean it's just this is one of those films that just kind of stands out. Uh, some eighty some years later, it still plays. Zoe even watched it, loved it. Oh, um, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm about to watch this movie for the podcast this week. Uh, it's kind of old, but it's funny. You might like it. You know. Mm -hmm. 
She watched it, was laughing and giggling and, and asking she's what, questions. 12, 13? And 13, yeah. 13? Know. She's asking questions, you know, like, what is this a depression? You know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, You're it's, close. It, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, yeah, it was it's really, it was, but it was, it's interesting because it, it, these films do have that kind of historical artifact stuff in it. It's, it's, a, you know, it's definitely something I think gives you more grounding in history than something like Babylon, right? I mean, it's just, it's going to, well, too, you know, it doesn't ways. have to be, you know, ironweed. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it doesn't have to. Oh, that was a. <laughs> I know I pulled that one out, didn't I? Um, well, I just mean like we're the only two people that have seen ironweed. <laughs> but Nicholson's great in that, folks. But Nicholson's great. No, like any depression era or 40, 30, 20s, thirties, forties era, they don't all have to be dramas. You, you know, you can you can still have the message. You can still show the world, but it doesn't have to just beat you over the head and just be so serious. You know, you can. But again, that depends on the creator. And yes. and here in, in this is just like he 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 still wants to make a social commentary. But yet again, by his own admission, he was sick of people making social commentary films and beating us up about it. And he said, well, I want us to laugh again. I mean, you know, we we have every right to laugh and to be entertained. You don't have to just club us constantly. And and to a degree, I agree with them. I mean, do you? Is it? Yeah, I think I think he was really responding to a lot of pressure at the time in Hollywood to make serious movies. I mean, the the social conscious film was something that Hollywood was pushing uh, because you know wartime. You know, we need you know we need we need to you know. Frank Capra was producing his Why We Fight series, you know, at this point, Uh, you know, so, I mean, this, this turn, you know, towards trying to be, uh, have social message, right? And, and Sturgis is, is making a very clear point here that there is still a critical need for escapism, Mm-hmm. At at this particular time in, in American history, and it still holds true today, but especially during that particular era, um, audiences wanted to go to the movies to get away from that real life. Right. They wanted, and to again, this is this is television's that. not around. Radio is the dominant, you know, secondary medium. But you know, it's still the it's still the golden age of the pictures. People, you know, here at Capital Pictures. We just don't make B wrestling films, Joe. <laughs> it it um. It, I mean, I think we're a year or two, we're a year away from Casablanca. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's that critical period. Pearl Harbor, I think it probably already happened at that point, right? We, we were either right at the cusp of entering World War II or, or we were right on that, that borderline when this movie came out. It was a huge hit. Um, and I, and I think it, it, it goes to show you because even, even later, you know, in something like Miracle of Morgan's Creek, you know, it's a comedy because in that movie, Eddie Bracken's character, he can't get into the military, right? He's He's got physical limitations that make him, so he's like the only guy left in the town, right? Everybody else has gone to the war, so he's stuck there. It's, it's, you know, but that's the kind of funny stuff that I think audiences needed that release during that particular stressful sure. era in our in our history and um and i think it's deliberate i do i think he's setting out to say look i can do both i can make mm-hmm. a film that has a serious message 
but it can also be absolutely hilarious at the same time. Um, what did you think of the uh, of the Disney sequence? I thought it was interesting. Um, I didn't remember that that sequence. Obviously, so I was like, "Whoa, this is Disney! Really did that? Okay, wow, yeah, that's you, you know, know, and and that's what showed the joy and the comedy in the in the yeah. uh, you know the those uh, those individuals who were." Uh, who are poor, I guess, is the way that, you know, you don't understand poverty. Uh, you, know, you can be poor, you can be poor, incarcerated, but at the same level, we're all, we all enjoy seeing Mickey and Pluto, you know, up <laughs> to shenanigans. A, yeah, the shenanigans. You know, we're all, we're all, you know, I don't, I don't think it's an inner child thing necessarily in that segment. I just think that those were the, the things of the day. Cause by the time we are born and come around, they don't do that anymore. You know, they don't show cartoons before the movies or the movie reel, you know, the movie tone news, or, I mean, we just have previews. That's it. You know, going to the movies used to be a whole experience, right? Yeah. You've got, you know, you might even have a, a double feature, a B movie that's like 70 minutes. Then you take an intermission, go to the bathroom, come back, come back and watch maybe a lead in cartoon and then your main feature. That's right. right. Going to the movies was an evening out. That's right. You know, or an afternoon or like the kids, you know, the kids on Saturdays could go to the Saturday morning at the film. They would do, I mean, that was all morning long for like 20 cents or whatever it was, you know, they'd have the actions, the flash Gordon serials and the, and the cartoons and maybe something, you know, three stooges and whatnot. I mean, it was, it was a happening. <laughs> That's the only combined way. Combined with, it. combined with, as you were saying, it was a source of, of journalism. The newsreels would, yeah. would roll before. And so, you, you know, you have to contextualize that too. You think about, okay, I just got news about, how this battle or how that's going. <laughs> Hitler's right? advancing yeah. into Poland. <laughs> You're right. But here's the next movie, right? Yeah. Uh and and so you you ha- I guess you had to have something that would really, you know, carry you out of that, especially if you're watching something that reminds you of that reality right immediately before. Um yeah, so I I I agree with you that that uh the, the experience has changed um and that it was much more of a, a holistic thing. Uh, when when you went to the movies in the 40s and the 50s um it's trying to be a distraction so i i would it's interesting to me to think that uh, you know sullivan's travels makes you wonder if if the social conscience film uh was really as popularized you know commercially and the critics and you know all those folks love those films but you know, I'd have to go back and look at sort of the box office grosses of some of those social message films that we've extracted. I was on a chain and, gang. Yeah. You know. And I love that movie. Oh, no, no, I, mean, I, I absolutely yeah, love that movie. I, uh, and and, and uh, some of the films on those lists, you know, Gentleman's Agreement, uh, you know, a lot of these films that were addressing uh, serious issues, um, you know, unless we saw that they won a bunch of Oscars or whatever, that still doesn't mean that they were necessarily box office hits. So um, that that would be something that would be interesting to explore is, you know, uh, where was film noir during this period in the 40s? This was its its heyday. I yeah. mean, we're, we're, we're at the strength of film noir. But you got to remember, too, that, you know, film noir is the is is the first feature. Right. In, in a lot of these instances, it right. is. 
like I was speaking of these double features, it's just like film noir is the first film off the roller because it's 70 or 80 minutes and it's considered the lower form of entertainment. Going to be darker, right? The darker, right, the darker film. And then we get on to your Sullivan's Travels, your lighter film. So, uh, no, this is absolutely in the uh, in the 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 apex of 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 film noir. Yeah. So it's interesting that that I guess that dichotomy existed where you had the popularity of darker sort of seedy stories Mm -hmm. uh, mixed in with these lighthearted, yeah screwball comedies because i mean it's it's not just preston sturgis it's, it's howard hawks right uh it's, it's uh you know uh john ford it's um you know frank capra these these were decades where these legendary directors were just churning out stuff if they weren't already in military service right like capra or john ford well, but, um, but you've also got people like max ofuls who's making films at this time uh yeah it's a good point you, you, you know, who's coming, yeah. the, the immigrants are coming, Hitchcock's coming, Ophels is coming, uh, 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 Murnau, um, all of these people are, are making films in Hollywood and they're putting their stamp on, you know, the dramas and the thrillers and the suspense films and, you know, quote unquote noirs and, you know, all that. So I think, I think that's also a fascinating uh, subject that people can look into mm-hmm. is, is the, the immigrants that came over in the thirties and the forties in Hollywood and built really, really successful careers in films that stand to this day. I mean, I, I'm a huge Max Ophels fan. I, mm-hmm. I love, I, that's my, okay. There's my recommendation for the week. Other than Sullivan's travels, go find Max Ophels films. I'll put something up in the discord, make that a little bit easier for everybody. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so so what's your what's your bottom line with Sullivan's Travels? Love it. It's an American classic. Um, it should be included in everybody's. It's a seminal film. Are you uh, adding it to the to the list? Ooh. Is this our is this our double feature? Is this another double feature for us? Ooh, I don't know. It could be. Um, that's some. I don't know if I want to force students to sit through Babylon. Um. But if we could find another pairing for it, perhaps I, Sullivan's Travels is definitely one that should go on the list. And I think, you know, it's one that and I'm not saying that this movie is included on my list. But if, if you're looking at films like It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. look, we're, we're, watch this movie. I hate It's a Wonderful Life. I know. I hate it. it, we've, it, we've it, gone it, it I just hate it. But it, replace this with that, you know, put yeah. Sullivan's Travels in there over. Uh, it's a wonderful life. I think I think it's a film that doesn't get outside of, say, the film centric sort of yeah. circles. It doesn't get enough um, commercial recognition and Preston Sturgis alone, period, like the whole filmography yeah. doesn't get, you know, because you're you're not taking into account when you talk about him, all of the stuff that he wrote in the thirties and, you know, I mean, all the stuff he wrote he, about 20, 20 plus know. doctoring of scripts. Yeah. That he might not even have gotten credit for, I think, um, if, if I, my count was correct when I was and doing he my did, notes he, this week. And, and he did not start out in this. I mean, he was no. his mother was in cosmetics. Uh, he was seriously he was yeah. working on lipstick stuff. And he, I mean, he just got into Hollywood as a writer, you know, as, as a script doctor um, yeah. and was just really good at it. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, other than maybe, you know, maybe there's a couple more from his uh, from his work that we should toss in you know, to a list as well, because um, I think the only one that I have on there is Miracle Morgan's Creek. 
mm-hmm. I think it's right now. Okay. Um, but it'd been a minute since I'd seen Sullivan's Travels. I've forgotten how wonderful it is um, and, and how much that it captures of a specific uh, time period and, and era. And as a meta film, it's, you know, it's, it's really good. We were talking about some of these movies that are movies about movies, right? Movies about the making of mm-hmm. movies. Um, and, uh, and it challenged me to go back and think about, well, you know, obviously there's movies like the player and other kinds of movies that sort of give you that, that, uh, that behind the scenes kind of, there's a ton of those. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you my, but what underdog. are the best ones? You know, what are the yeah. best ones? That's, you I, know. I, I'll give you my underdog one is Mel Brooks's silent movie. Uh, that That's a good deserves, one. that deserves its due, uh, in this sort of movies about movies, that, yeah. that type of, you know, or how, how the sausage gets made type of yeah no uh, yeah uh the stunt man is another one uh man's a good one one. but another good one um so i mean you know so folks avoid babylon uh you know (laughs) uh go with sullivan's travels and and experience some of these other movies um that i think take that meta turn and and do it in a more meaningful way and a more substantive way that's going to last with you a lot longer now i mean if you want to see just a casebook study in in excess and chaos and and you know really God, i hate to say this because i'm really open but i mean Babylon so just goes too it just goes too far it's in my ugly. opinion and it's, it's just an ugly you, film you, you can lose your audience if you go too excessive, you can isolate your your audience. And I just feel like there's several scenes in this movie in Babylon where I just go, I didn't need that. Like it was just like it was too much of us. And and I'm and I'm talking about a different kind of excess here, right? So somebody like John Waters is going excess for very strategic comedic purposes, right? Um, he's pushing those boundaries in different ways. This is not that kind of approach um and so yeah i just think that you know uh and and again if if you're not because he doesn't ground it enough in in the actual history it doesn't give you enough contextualization some of those scenes just seem like well that's just really pointless you know i mean unless you know about the fatty arbuckle sex murder scandal right of the night you know unless you understand that then you're not going to understand why there's this fat guy laying on the floor that's getting peed on peed on and it it, yeah what a train wreck man what a train wreck and and he's a he's a good filmmaker jeff and and nobody sets out to make a bad movie i i firmly believe that but um but this is one where i just go "Eh, somebody should have pulled him in and 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 encouraged him to restrain uh a little bit more with with this one but sullivan's travels amazing excellent Well, you can contact us a number of ways if you have more questions, of course, about film or you would like us to cover a certain film. We always take uh, uh, suggestions. You can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com, or you can click on the link in our show notes to our Discord and where this is where we post uh, various things we talk about, topics, and uh, just keep the uh, conversations going as it were. Uh, as always, please uh, uh, subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple, Google, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasting needs taken care of. And until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. <laughs>